Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wabo's most spooky work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back for Breach 3.2. Um, and we, we continue immediately where Breach 3.1 left off, uh, where yeah. Blake says to the Briar Girl that he wants to utterly destroy the Bahames and Duchamps. And immediately she reacts poorly to this. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, her, like, little rabbit thing leaps out of her arms and turns into this giant wolf, bear, eagle, like, man, bear, pig type monstrosity. Um, It's a a very scary visual uh, and really sets a bad bad vibe uh, for the negotiations. Yeah, I like how... um... It would have been very easy for it to just kind of turn into a wolf, right? But it doesn't. It turns into this wolf thing with, like, kind of scales, kind of, like, teeth that don't fit right. Um, Clearly just some kind of hybrid of different natural concepts, which is very cool. Yeah. Um, And so then there's a bit, like, as they sort of start negotiating again, where Blake says to the Briar Girl and her uh, familiar that the conservation of ninjutsu isn't in effect here. And I had to go look that up on TV tropes. I was not familiar with that particular trope. It, it makes sense. It's basically, um, you know, that idea that when you have like a hundred grunts fighting one sort of superhero or villain, like the, the, the one person has just as much power as all the hundreds. So, you know, they always yep. do a lot better and, and you've just kind of got a hundred idiots versus one master. Um, yep. It's yeah, just, you're right. It, it's not a. I don't know if it's a concept that Briar Girl will be super familiar with. Um, yeah, know your audience, <laughs> Blake. Um, I, I, she doesn't seem like a particularly trope savvy individual. Um, yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't seem like it's a great start to the negotiations. I suppose. Um, yeah. Which I guess the negotiations have almost immediately soured. Briar Girl basically takes the tone of, "Well, I'm just going to kill you." changed my view (laughs) yeah well because basically blake is trying to he appeals to this sense of well isn't it in our mutual interest in terms of power if we overthrow the behames and duchamps yeah and i mean you know this is sort of what i was saying uh last episode i thought this was a very good thing because like obviously she'd be in that camp and she turns out she's not and everything i was saying about how she would be a good ally was kind of wrong because she mm. doesn't really give any shits uh, about power dynamics, really. Um, I, I totally misread her in the same way Blake had. Yeah, because uh, Blake and Rose kind of point out that every practitioner they've ever met has been all about gathering power. Briar Girl doesn't give a shit about that. She just wants to live in her own little corner of the world. Um, and Blake is intruding on that corner. And so at the moment, he's the only thing... Getting rid of him specifically is the only thing that she really cares about. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. Like, uh, I think it's really interesting to talk a bit about her uh, motivations. Yeah. Because, um, you know, like, I had been working off the same assumption as Blake that she was just a typical power-hungry practitioner. And I guess that's our fault for trying to label things so simply we keep getting told not to um (laughs) but yeah you're right she just seems to you know she apparently awakened or whatever and just decided she wanted to go and chill in the forest or at least that's what she thinks she she wants like with this weird familiar dynamic she has you can't be convinced 
uh, I'm not totally convinced that maybe things weren't pushed in that direction, but um, yeah. at, at the very least, the current pairing of the two of them just really likes this little patch of forest they've got. They're not even like full on. I kind of thought she was going to be like this big environmentalist, but it's not even really that. She just likes her little forest and she wants to live there. And, it, you know, it's just that the Thorburns technically own it, so she can't form a domain there. Yeah. Um, I think the thing I like about this is the way that they kind of define nature uh, about w- within the context of the Briar Girl. Um, because now that we know she was the one who, who created and sent these uh, bird skull things, we do have the official name for them, but I'm not going to use it. Um, <laughs> now that we know that, <laughs> it doesn't... Traditionally, the idea of necromancy wouldn't, like, blend with, with the idea of being, you know environmentalist but um i like the way that she kind of defines it as recycling it's a very cool little tweak on uh, on this kind of character trope that you might see in other media right yeah and because like we've seen that the natural order in impact is pretty brutal and unfair like you know the whole yep. concept that spirits hold uh you know karma and stuff associated with your parents with you i would think is pretty unfair um but, you know, as I sort of said, it needs to go somewhere. But, yeah, like we've yep. seen in Pact, nature is pretty intense. And so this really fits with that. And it's not something I would have thought either, but it, it, it actually does fit quite well and, and makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and this gives – Brygirl kind of uses this explanation to give um, a hint towards why she hates Blake and Rose – because she hates diabolists. Diabolists use demons, and demons are outside the natural order. They're not life or death. They are the abstract. They're the void. They are nothing, right? Yeah, they're just um, des- they're destruction in a in a way that goes beyond the natural order. Yeah, yeah. Um, so makes sense that she would hate them. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, kind of a pretty defensible viewpoint, I reckon. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, essentially, we find out that her position here is really she just hates them because they're diabolists. And, like, based on everything we know about diabolists and demons, like, it's just such a reasonable viewpoint to have. You can't really yeah. fault her for it. Yeah, uh, she actually gives a bit more of explanation to, to Blake and Rose about how uh, demons do this thing where they make the world a bit worse. Um, they kind of send out, like... Almost like the spirits send out little demons that just uh, go and fuck things up while people aren't really paying attention. Um, you know, making a car run out of fuel when it's trying to take somebody to the hospital, or turning off a light that may say that may kind of reveal something important. Right? They just kind of yeah fuck shit up. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's it's a cool like it's a very pragmatic little explanation for how giving the demons a foothold really sets humanity back uh a bit um i kind of liked the uh, the simple idea of just how all the lights in the world dim but um i agree it doesn't really hold up <laughs> when in a world where science is sort of there and this is always a tricky a tricky line for modern fantasy stuff to walk like the science versus magic so yeah um i think this is just the uh the story trying to land on on that one side of that um yeah and totally. i, I I like the little history lesson we get as well that Rose says probably isn't true, Um, (laughs) but essentially, like, all these demons were sort of the operators of God or the original gods or whatever, and um, then some of them turned to destruction as a sort of balancing act, and and now they're just sort of inherently evil or something. It was was very vague, and, and Rose seems to think it's not correct, so... yeah. I mean, I guess I'll kind of ignore it 
for now, but it, it feel, I feel <laughs> like it, they they wouldn't have brought it up unless it ties into the truth somehow, I think. I think, at the very least, it kind of shows the way that the Briar Girl sees the world, right? It kind of feels like the equivalent of, like, practitioner pseudoscience, where it's <laughs> like, well, this is where the demons come from. Um, and it definitely lets her demonize them <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um but yeah, yeah it's, true. it's interesting at the very least to get an insight into the way she thinks about it um so they they kind of get back to negotiating and briar girl now kind of has the upper hand uh she seems to be on the yeah. on the ag- aggressive in their conversation here um she basically is again coming at this from the perspective of, well, I'll just kill you. What what's the worst that could happen? I'll just kill you and make a deal with your next heir. Yeah, and so now we get a little bit more of a concrete thing that's been hinted at, uh or it was hinted at in the last chapter. Um, but Blake and Rose actually go through all of the heirs and why they would be worse uh for the Bride Girl to try and negotiate with. Mm. Yeah, um, Rose says something interesting, which is, nobody's pretending that Blake is long for this world. And Blake's like, I'm pretending I'm long for this world. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking classic. And, like, they don't really talk about it again, but, like, yeah, I, like, I have to... Uh, I have to believe there's a little bit of a little bit more meaning behind that than just the, the sort of funny little joke that Blake makes. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, another interesting thing I noticed is Blake briefly, like, because we get this really cool sort of thing where we get to, as well as listing off the airs and what's sort of wrong with them, mm. Blake and Rose yep. kind of compare and contrast their impressions of the various members of the family, which yeah. reveals a bit about their various timeline differences and, and whatnot. Um but, you know, Blake specifically is the only one who talks about his sister. Like, Rose doesn't really mention it. And I just realized we haven't really seen a concrete reaction by Rose to the fact that in this timeline, she has a sister. Because I, mm. I I think we've gotten the impression that she's an only child still. Because, you know, the the parents wanted a daughter. So there was no reason yeah, to have a daughter when Blake didn't run away. They didn't need to make another daughter after they had Maggie. Um so yeah, like I I I just sort of noticed that we haven't really seen Rose's reaction to finding out that she has a sister in this timeline because that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, you would think she wants to like go and meet her or something, but it doesn't really come up. <laughs> I guess they have bigger things to worry about. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, not yet. Anyway, yeah, I mean, so far the two of them haven't really had contact with anyone outside of like you know Maggie and the Bahams and the lawyers. Like they haven't reached out to the family except for that one confrontation. But, you know, like Blake's yeah. friends and their family haven't really been something they've talked to yet. Yeah. Um, anyway, Blake and Rose kind of run through the list of heirs and eventually Briar Girl kind of realises they're the best option and they strike a deal. Um, the Briar Girl agrees to let Blake and Rose leave unharmed and Blake agrees to investigate whether it's possible to move the house, which is like <laughs> such a weird agreement yeah i mean i feel like the answer is almost certainly no without uh, at least yeah. without some insane cost that just means he won't want to do it but um you know he frames it to the bride girl it's like that's useful information for her to have so you know she ends up she ends up taking yeah. the deal but what, uh, i think a big part of it here is you know we're talking about these power shifts they initially ask for a lot more um they want her to help them with lead and she manages to haggle them down to just letting them leave alive, which is not an insignificant deal, um, but it's less than they were going for. The deal they made, though, is just, 
it, it reminds me of the deal they made with Patrick, right? Which is just yeah. do this for us and we'll consider doing something for you, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, they sort of, you know, it is useful information for Bri Girl to have, which is sort of yeah. why it does kind of work. But yeah, it's neither of them really give that much in this de- in this first deal, but it really feels like at least they made a deal. That's that's the achievement well, here. Well, yeah, but it's it's not great when every negotiation you enter, your opening bargain has to be, now how do I get them to let me leave this alive? <laughs> no, that is, that is something they need to that's work on. That's been all the deals they've made so far, which doesn't bode well. No, that's true. Um, so... Uh, then, then now that they've got that part out of the way, now that Blake at least will survive, uh, <laughs> they they make a second deal, basically. Um, the Bride Girl agrees to give Blake some info on how she kind of augmented her senses, how to do that, and Blake agrees to give her more land, um, basically. Uh, well, this would be the first piece of land he's actually giving her, I think, because she never took that, right, that sure. original deal. So this is just, yeah, he's going to give her some land if she... Gives him info he can use against Laird because she doesn't want to actually help him. Um, yeah. And I love this little bit because she's like, oh, but you've got to double it if Laird finds out because I don't want trouble with him. And Blake's like, yeah, <laughs> that's fair. If it's my fault then um, <laughs> uh, that Laird finds out, then that that's fine. And she kind of frowns a bit and there's this sense that she was planning on just going and telling him. Um, yeah, I think it's almost explicitly stated, like Blake <laughs> thinks explicitly, yeah, she was just going to tell him. Um, and that is proven correct when <laughs> when they make this deal and then Briar Girl's basically like, well, I'm going to tell Laird what you're up to unless you double the amount of land I have. Yep. <laughs> so she's yeah, still, like, she's still doing it. Doesn't even wait five seconds. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so then Blake and Rose kind of one-up her by threatening to just randomly claim some land in the middle of the forest just so she can't have it to fuck with her. Yeah, like claim their domain as just a random piece of land to fuck with her. Yeah, and things get pretty hostile at that point. There's some there's some harsh and non-hypothetical words thrown around. Um, yeah. But eventually... It clearly struck a nerve. Yeah, yeah, it works. And so they reach a third and final deal uh, where they will stop threatening to do that if she um, doesn't tell Laird about the plan. Um, yep, and a, good, guess... a good deal, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We won't fuck with you if you won't fuck with us. Should kind of be the baseline, but they get there. Yeah. Um, yeah this is not a friendly relationship, even even though there's a, a number of deals on the, on the board now. Yeah, they're already two deals in and they still are fucking with each other. Um, um, but yeah, there's been this shift of power and I think... You know, now it's more even. Like, I, you know, we're sort of leaving here with a sense that the two parties are more on equal footing. Like, Bride Girl's still very cagey about future dealings, but there's a sense that Blake and Rose actually got something they wanted out of her. Yeah, explicitly, because she explains how to augment your senses, how to change to be more animalistic, um, which is basically just pouring animal blood all over yourself. Uh, so maybe Blake could have kind of figured that out on his own, but still good to have it confirmed. Well, yeah, Rose Senior explicitly used this sort of thing, I'm pretty sure, in her interlude. Like, I think she mm. says she took the form of, like, a cat at her school, which is, like, R.I.P. that cat, I guess. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, like, it seems like something that was probably in his library already, so I don't know, he maybe could have asked for something a bit better, but um, he sort of inadvertently gets a lot of detail on the fairy hair that he's got with him, because uh, the bride girl's very interested in that and offers him a lot of info on it in an attempt to get him to give it up. 
Which is not a great strategy. Like, <laughs> let me tell you how powerful this thing is, and then you'll give it to me. Um, it's an interesting point that you point out that Rose Senior had this uh, animal changing uh, thing referenced in her in her interlude, though, because Briar Girl does keep referencing that she has a teacher who it's kind of hinted that she had a bit of a falling out with. It's it's a bit unclear. Um, yeah, well, she and- she references her teacher throughout all this, and she gets upset when Blake tries to find out who it is, and it just feels like yeah. a thing. <laughs> this is yeah. this is almost certainly a thing. And I started to wonder if she was a runaway from one of the families or something, so I went to look for a physical description of her because most of the families we've seen so far have pretty standard looks between them. Yeah, uh, and there hasn't really been a description of the Briar Girl, which made me even more suspicious. All we know is that she's a plain girl. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? After you wrote that, I thought, oh no, surely there has been. And I go back, <laughs> I went back and looked, and no, there. We first see her in the visions, and she's just described as like bundled up in warm clothes. Hmm. Um, and then at the council meeting. Blake sees a girl and says, oh, that's the Briar girl, but we don't actually get any kind of description of her. Um, yeah, there's there's one during the council meeting where he describes her as plain, and that's as much detail as we've gotten, which is nothing. <laughs> ah, now the puzzle pieces are falling into place. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it feels like the easy sort of answer to, to guess here is that Rose Senior, just because, you know, she's so close to the house and, yeah. um, and all that, but, uh, you know, her... Her knowledge, or Rose Senior's knowledge of her in the diary doesn't quite line up with that. So unless Rose Senior was yeah. hiding it for some reason, um, I, th- I think it's probably something else, but uh, it, it it's going to be a thing, surely. All right, well, we'll see. Um, so Blake and Rose leave after making these three deals, and Rose <laughs> <laughs> kind of explicitly calls Blake out on the same thing we called him out on last chapter, where he uh, has been just saying that he would uh, point out what he's planning to do, but never actually doing it, um, which is great. Go, he, go Rose. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's like, because she's sort of like, so you're just going to tell me what you're thinking? Because, you know, I don't want you to, yeah. to run off and just not really tell me anything and ask me if I'm okay with it. And Blake's like, oh, I only did that once. She's like, no, no, you didn't. <laughs> no, you've done it every time. <laughs> and, and it's a bit of like an oh shit moment for Blake, which is which is hilarious. Um, yeah. But it, it, then it's even funnier because then Rose is like, also, I feel like you're probably thinking that you want to promise me that you won't do that. Don't because <laughs> you're gonna break that promise. Like shit. There's, yeah. there's absolutely Rose no. Really got a good read on him. <laughs> yeah. There's absolutely no faith on Rose's end, and I think she's right. Um. So she's like, can you just <laughs> can you just try and be better? Um. And I think we see in a little bit that he he kind of is. Um. Yeah. It does seem to work. Like, I think it, it appears that he just genuinely hadn't noticed that this was a pattern he was in, and when it was called out on, to him, he's he's trying to work on it. Yeah, which is good. I mean, it's a good sign that he's she's able to call him out on his obliviousness. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Blake explains that <laughs> talking to the Briar Girl kind of was like a test run to see if he could stomach talking to Maggie. The Briar Girl was someone who had tried to kill him. Maggie was someone who had killed, you know, his favourite cousin. So he wants to try and basically talk to Maggie and see if he can find, get her to help, maybe get some of the other local isolated practitioners to help fuck with Laird. Yeah, and it's interesting because, so he's playing at the moment, like they talk about how, you know, Laird's a pretty solid mastermind. So they're probably not going to beat him at that game. So like part of the tactics they talk is just trying to find Laird and just violently attack him because that's not really 
like the field he would prefer to play on they think yeah um he's a schema and the way you deal with a schema is just charge at him um, <laughs> yeah uh but I yeah kind of reference this last chapter as well when he talked about uh, knocking over all the chess pieces and strutting around on the board yeah just kind of mixing shit up yeah and so what's interesting is uh, this plan at the moment seems to be get some get some pokey deem uh some pokey goblins um yeah. off maggie and just sort of throw them at laird which I have to believe if it was that easy, Johans would have done it. Like they specifically call out Johans as someone they should talk to. Yeah. And it, yeah, if it, I don't know, if it was that easy, he'd probably be ruling the area by now because he's pretty powerful, and we've seen he's got lots of goblins and stuff. So he seems like someone they should go and talk to uh, to figure out how or how not to try and attack uh, the Bahams and the Duchamps. Yeah, but you know, if if they go and talk to Johannes, it's <laughs> there'll be a price for every question. Yeah, um, that's true. Um, but you know, that's sort of the state they're in. They're they're willing to make deals to attack those families. So yeah, I don't see why not. Um, but yeah, anyway, I like this bit when they get back to the house and Blake opens the door and ho- goes to hold it open for Rose before kind of realizing that that's ridiculous. She's in the mirrors, <laughs> and he kind of like embarrassingly ju- jumps back into the house and it's just like, oh, good, Rose didn't really see that. Um. But I think it's important because it shows that he does think of Rose uh, in this moment, and I'm hoping it's yeah. a sign of better coordination between the two despite what happens soon. <laughs> well, you know, despite the fact that Blake can be oblivious, I think the fact, you know, the way he treats June and now I suppose Leonard indicates that he, you know, he's got a, he's, he's, he's got a good heart, um, and this is the same thing for Rose. Uh, although... Blake does treat others as people, as evidenced by June, so maybe it doesn't mean that <laughs> he thinks of her as a human, he just kind of is nice. Yeah, well, I think Rose has said in in the end of Arc 2 that Blake's heart is in the right place. Um, you know, she just doesn't... So I think I think that's Rose's read on Blake, and I'd probably agree with it. Yeah. You know, his heart's in the right place, but he's not. his head all, isn't always. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so now that they're back inside, Blake basically, and, and Blake has learned more about this, this hair, he starts using it to change his shape. He, he changes his appearance, I guess, more than his shape. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, we sort he, of, we skipped over a bit. The Briar girl, one of the deals was the Briar girl had to tell them some info on how to shape change. And basically when Blake, you know, he, he wanted the, to know if the hair would help. And she was basically like, just use that, like forget yeah. The main ritual, the hair by itself is probably better because it sounds like it's less. Yeah, it sounds like it's less risky. Um, yeah, you know, in the sense that it, if it goes wrong, you're not stuck as a cat or something. You just or the, you don't get like Vic style possessed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so basically, the plan at the moment is just to use the hair by itself and not worry about the rest of the info. Yeah, and he starts doing this, and it works really well. He he basically is very easily able to change his form. Um, not just his form. There's a part where he... Uh, let me read the quote. Crazy, I commented. I ran my hands down the length of my throat, then said in a different voice, crazy. <laughs> just like, easy, easy peasy. Yeah, he's just running his hands over himself and just completely changing, and I think that passage, you're right, it really sells... Just how comprehensive and simple this has turned out to be for him, and it's yes, funny because it he, he believes. Be. <laughs> <laughs> well, he believes it's so easy for him just because he believes it's so easy for him. Like it's that weird catch twenty two you get with glamours. Yeah. Um, 
And if, so, of course, Rose comes back in and is like, it shouldn't be this easy. And he's like, stop telling me that because um, it yeah, might don't, become don't true. Say that. <laughs> um, but they do, <laughs> yeah. they do sort of have a quick conversation about how maybe it's so easy for him for bad reasons. Like, is there a catch they're not aware of? Or is it because Blake mm. is so faded that, like, it's easier to replace him? Uh, which yeah. is not a good, I, well, not a good concept uh, as a possibility. Um, well, Blake, you know, they recognise that it's pretty useful, and Blake's defence is, well, it was hard to get, but if this proves to be more useful than that jewel was dangerous, I agree, we should be suspicious. And then we jump forward. The glamour was really fucking useful, as it turned out. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, this is a fantastic, like, scene change. Um, like, just a way to sort of skip ahead, but we tie the two things together. It, it's, hilar- it's a hilarious little, like, opener. Yep. Um, so Blake has been able to completely change his form and he goes to meet Maggie at her school and we see, you know, Duchamp and Behame children walk past him and not give him a second look. Um, yeah. and he approaches Maggie and basically starts pranking her. I mean, he's like pretending to be someone else and just kind of having fun with it, which is a bit, (laughs) he seems to be enjoying himself despite how mad he must be at Maggie here. Yeah, I think it'd be hard not to. It does actually sound like it would be a lot of fun. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I love just when he approaches Maggie and Maggie just sasses him so hard. It's hilarious. Like, she's just, <laughs> she's so much fun. Um, and this conversation they have where, you know, then her dad comes in and, and everyone's sort of double speaking and, like, uh, you know, Maggie sort of asks Blake, like, there's one point where Maggie asks Blake, Do you, are you trying to mess with the Thorburns? And he, he's sort of like, hmm, and says... Kind of, well, kind of implies a yes as a sort of test yes. and and she passes him and then later on as he's sort of backtracking on it he has to sort of say well i, I can't say i don't have any quarrel with the thorburns which is <laughs> just very true yeah it's it's such a great little line like that's that's really the power of this whole practitioners have to spell the yeah. truth thing uh, tell the truth is he, he, he had to say goes that to say he actively goes to say i have no quarrel with the thorburns and has to catch himself <laughs> <laughs> which is great i love it um so yeah. as as he's kind of in his glamour form and maggie recognizes him she says his name and it's interesting because we really get a feel for the the fra- frailty i guess of glamours here um every time she said my name i could see the connection striving to appear hammering at my glamour like a battering ram slamming into a heavy door a great image yeah. um and i think a great way to kind of set up the limitations of glamour like blake has now got this source of disguising himself and that's something that can clearly come in quite handy so it's good to set up like it's frail here's here's what kind of damages it here's what could happen if it gets too damaged um those kinds of uh of of rules to to set up these situations that will happen later yeah yeah definitely um so eventually maggie agrees to give blake some some you know goblins in a can uh (laughs) as well as a trained goblin named Dick Swizzle, which is a great name for a goblin. Yeah, I um, really want to know how these goblins get their names, because like, it just seems like they're pa- either their parents are dicks or they're self-naming themselves, in which case they're all dicks, but it's it's just... And, it's a funny beat. I mean, we, explic- we explicitly see here that Maggie isn't able to really control Dick Swizzle because of his name, <laughs> which she can't say. It just seems like the inability to swear is so uniquely crafted to make her her life as a as a goblin queen or whatever um, more difficult. 
Yeah, you're right. I hadn't quite noticed that, but that's that's so spot on. Like she um she's trying to specialize in goblins and all of them seem to have pretty crass names so it's a pretty big yep. limitation that she can't say them <laughs> yeah she can't command them by name um anyway so dick swizzle is is a goblin that responds to a, the holder of this uh, little silver whistle um and blake holds the whistle and commands dick swizzle and he doesn't come <gasps> what's going on and then rose commands him to come and he goes to her uh and and <laughs> Rose says, well, yeah, so about that thing I was going to tell you about, <laughs> yeah. and then our chapter ends. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I guess we skipped over it before, but Rose had mentioned that there was something she needed to tell Blake earlier, but she wouldn't do it right now. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, Yeah, I she- think she explicitly says, hey, let's talk about this now, so in case anything comes up and the tables turn... You know, we've got this covered, and Blake's like, uh, what are you trying to say? And she goes, oh, later, later. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it's just great. Like, when Maggie brings out this whistle, and it's like, oh, it'll respond to whoever has the whistle. And Rose is just sort of like, oh, crud. And, and you're yep. kind of like, oh, that's a weird reaction. And then, obviously, yep. we see that it responds to her, and it's forcing her hand, and it's just, ah, uh, it's such a great cliffhanger. Um, yeah. We should um, we should wrap up now so that I can go and read the next chapter and find out what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think we we this is such a fun cliffhanger. We wanted to talk about it more, and so we're going to skip over doing an extra bit this week. Or our extra bit this week is just going to be talking about what this cliffhanger could mean. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I'm. I'll let you handle this part, Elliot, because <laughs> I know how this story goes. <laughs> yeah, uh, fair enough. Um, yeah, well, so I kind of uh, agreed to this partially because there's something I, I noticed a little bit in Arc 1 and again towards the end of Arc 2, and I haven't really had a chance to dive into it, um, and so this seemed like a good excuse, um, which is I've noticed there's been this weird, throughout the story, almost like yo-yo effect in between Blake and Rose's like moods and, and how they're sort of operating. Um, so... And this sort of, we had this directly called to our attention um, in the last chapter where Blake sort of has this line where he goes, odd that Rose seems so diminished when I felt more energized. Was there something to yeah. that? Um, so this sort of calls, calls attention to, to it explicitly, but um, there's definitely been some foreshadowing, I think. Uh, in arc one, we had that bit where Blake really wanted to get out of the contract when they first sort of saw it and... Rose talked him out of it, and then it was like the next chapter they had the opposite argument because Bla- uh, Rose wanted to do the witch hunter stuff to get out of it, and Blake was suddenly against it. Um, and I think I called out how that sort of seemed a bit odd to me. Um, mm. Like it could, it could, it could be normal, um, but maybe it's not. Uh, I guess that's the whole point of this segment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you know, it, sort of all throughout Arc Two in particular, we saw the two of them kind of often complement each other quite well, um, and it always seems like yeah. they're. You know, there's the character differences that explain that, um, mm. but there's there's this real sense that when one of them is sort of weakened or or ineffectual at the time, the other one sort of steps up. Uh, and so, obviously, I've been theorizing that they're sort of swapping places, and it seems like there's something like that happening um, that sort of got confirmed uh, last mm. chapter. Um, but since this is a wild bow story, it's probably not as simple as Rose slowly takes Blake's place and he ends up in the mirror or dead at the end. Um, so I wonder if, you know, I, oh, I've been thinking this whole time that there's maybe more of a mental element to the transference. Um, you know, mm. like they're, they're taking on each other's personality as well. So now I'm wondering, uh, wait, as I've sort of been talking now, um, Rose is a vestige and she's meant to be Blake. And so I wonder if like, you know, cause this is such a symbolic world. 
if they're not transferring, but they're like merging, like if if she's not just straight up replacing him, but they're sort of, you know, Rose Senior has tried to has specifically created Rose as a way to merge the two of them together into some sort of super heir. Um, you know, she created the perfect heir by uh, creating Rose to complement Blake in what she probably perceived as as his potential weaknesses. Um, mm. So I don't know. So I, that- I, I don't know how convinced <laughs> I am of this, but um, <laughs> I, I guess I'm throwing it out there. Um, so yeah. your your previous major theory was that Rose and Blake would swap positions. Now you think uh, Granny Granny Rose created Rose to kind of aug- eventually augment Blake into some kind of super group. Blake plus Rose <laughs> equals something. Who knows? I mean, yeah, maybe it. I I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I've I probably need to sit on it more, but it. it it's def- it definitely feels like there's more than just a straight-up transference, and I, I think we're going to mm. get some more details on it uh, next. But part of it, at least, will be some sort of um, presumably some gender uh, movement uh, to make him more eligible as the heir, because that seemed to be a pretty strict uh, requirement um, that I assume... Interesting. Was, I, I still assume that that was not Rose Senior's requirement, but was more something, you know, a requirement she inherited as well. Um well, I have absolutely no comments on anything you've said in the past few minutes. Um, so I guess we'll just have to see. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, but that's that's the end of our show for this few days. Um, <laughs> our next episode, when we're talking about Breach 3.3, will be coming out uh, in two days. It's another bonus chapter. On the 20th of February. Yes, so we'll see you all in two days on on Wednesday. Uh, And, you know, if you want to get in touch with us before then, uh, you can email us at mediamdpodcast at gmail.com. Yep, shoot us an email if you want to talk about the latest chapters or share your thoughts on why Elliot's crazy speculations are right on the money or or totally off base. Um, You can also share those thoughts in our discussion threads, which we will link down in the episode description down below. Uh, Yes, you can also find uh, more information on the episode at the Doof Media website, which is doofmedia.com. Also at doofmedia.com, I I want to talk about a show that I've been listening to lately called Vow to View, which you've probably heard of. I don't know. It's it's a show where Scott and Elise, who are two, you know, hosts from across the Doof Media network, who are also married... Make each other watch movies, I guess, is kind of the loose, <laughs> the loose structure of the show. Um, yeah. So uh, the the show's just undergone a bit of a format change, uh, but essentially how it works is they pick a theme and they exchange uh, movies that, that go along that theme. So I I believe the theme uh, that's just started uh, earlier this week was or late last week was horsepower. Yeah. Now that is on paper the structure of the show but it really uh is more just about their dynamic and them just talking about random things they talk about the bachelor a lot and just other miscellaneous stuff (laughs) it's it's kind of a hard show to recommend but uh the, the the really strong selling point of it is they just have a great kind of chemistry that's really fun to listen to so go check yeah that out. it's um, they're all they're all of fun together um which yeah. makes sense because they they got married yeah well i mean i don't know I, either they got married to have great chemistry or they had great chemistry and then they got married <laughs> but either way it makes for a good show uh yeah and so you know speaking of doof um you can head over to patreon.com slash doof media uh where you'll find 
you know, the page all about how to donate to the, the Doof Network and really help all those shows like us and Vow to View uh, keep going. And you get a bunch of cool stuff when you do that. Yeah. Um, or another way to help all those shows would be to support Wildbo's Patreon because he writes content that then feeds into our show and, and uh, <laughs> one of the other major Doof Media shows. Um, yeah. He's a great author and someone that we love to kind of support by by doing these shows that are kind of talking about his work in detail. Um so go check out patreon.com slash wildbow as well. And I guess that's that. That's all our that's all our stuff. So we'll see you uh on the twentieth of February when we talk about Breach 3.3. See ya. 